Well, if you would, grab your Bibles and turn to Colossians chapter 1. I'll do you all a favor since we already had a little bit of church happening already. I'm just going to talk about one verse. How about that? Okay? And then we'll get out of here so that we can have lunch. How does that sound? Sound good? I got cooperation here? We're going to consider verse 28 of the opening chapter. Colossians chapter 1, verse 28. I'm going to read this verse. It's a hugely important verse in my life and aim in ministry. Colossians 1, verse 28. Him, Jesus, that is, we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. God, we pray that as we come to this for your word, that our hearts would rest happy in it, that we would not look elsewhere, what only your word provides. So God, would you do a good work in us even right now as we consider this verse? By your spirit, would you illuminate our hearts to know your truth and at the center of that truth to see our Savior, Jesus. May our lives be encouraged all the more to live to him, for him and through him. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Here's a startling reality about the human heart that we can't ever stop emphasizing. Ever. Whatever rules our hearts shows up in how we live. We will become like what we behold. And our hearts are the place where we behold things. That's where all the beholding happens. It happens in our hearts. Where we put the things of the highest importance. Where we go about treasuring something, it's in our hearts. So whatever we are treasuring in our hearts will end up showing up in the way that we live. The object of our beholding will shape our becoming. One theologian named Greg Beals put it like this. God has made humans to reflect Him. But if they do not commit themselves to Him, they will not reflect Him, but something else. We either reflect the Creator or something in creation. Because of sin, our hearts are prone to wander, to behold something in creation rather than the Creator. And therefore, we become more like something in creation rather the Creator. And Jesus was sent, the Son of God was sent to rescue us from our sin so that we, by His grace, could behold Him and then therefore become more and more and more like Him. Treasuring Christ is this phrase that I've been insisting upon since we started Colossians. Treasuring Christ is seeing Jesus worthy of of the ultimate place in our hearts, worthy of being the object that we behold so that we would become more and more and more like Him. That He would be the aim of our redeemed lives. So my hope this morning as we consider this verse is that we would see the aim of treasuring Christ is that we would then grow up in Christ. That the aim of all this treasuring Jesus would be that we would grow up and be more 
one people. We're going to consider that treasuring Christ is such an important vehicle to that end. It is central to so much, just in our verse alone. It is central to our message. So treasuring Christ is central to our growth in these ways. First, central to our message. Secondly, central to our means. And then thirdly, central to the end, to our end. So let's consider first, central to our message. Look again at the beginning of verse 28. Him we proclaim. Jesus, who's just, Paul just unpacked in the most incredible, glorious way in the, this opening chapter, holding up and out to us this remarkable, supreme, and sufficient Jesus is the center of his ministry. It's the center of his message. It is the most important thing that Paul could be about in the ministry that God had called him to. It is the most important thing that the church can be about because Jesus is so supreme and so sufficient. If you if you missed a few of the weeks with us, just take some time this afternoon and read all of the verses leading up to verse 28. He is supreme. He is sufficient. So it is Jesus, the center of God's redemptive purposes in human history. Jesus, the one who rescues us from the sin and from grave. Jesus, who lived the perfect life that we could not live. Jesus is central to our message. We don't proclaim Jesus plus a whole bunch of other stuff in order to be made right with God. We don't proclaim a Jesus plus you fill in the blank. Anything that we would want to do in that blank diminishes our attention away from the one who is supreme and sufficient for our lives. So we don't proclaim a message that says Jesus plus fill in the blank. We also don't proclaim a message that says you got to get your life in order first and then you'll get God's attention. Then you can have Jesus. You can come to church once you clean up a bit, clean up some of the immorality in your life. Then maybe God will give you some attention. No, we don't hold out a message that says you have to clean up first in order to come to God. No, because that's not at all what is at the heart of the gospel. Jesus Christ's incarnation was that he came into our broken world and in order to demonstrate the love of a Trinitarian perfect God who wasn't bound by time or space. While we were actively sinners against him, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for us to clean up a little bit, to come and live and die and live again. No, he came in the mess, in the broken, in the opposition. That's when Jesus came into this world. So we don't proclaim a message that says, get your life in order first. And we certainly don't say this. We don't say, yes, you get Jesus by grace but you got to keep Jesus by works. We don't undercut this overwhelming gospel that we have by saying the only way you keep it is if you do gooder, and you do harder, and you try, and you give it all you got, and if you don't, then you lost it all. That is a burden, it's exhausting, and it's death. That's not the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel is what we do proclaim. We do proclaim when we say, Him, Jesus, we proclaim We are saying God's redemptive purposes are graciously fulfilled in the person and work of of Christ. That all of the mystery of what God is doing in history, like what is God doing? It is all fulfilled 
what Jesus did in his life, death, and resurrection. So that means that the whole aim of the Bible that you have on your lap right now, that thing that can be so overwhelming and confusing at times, there's a one thread that binds all of those pages together in that book that you have. And that thread is what God is doing through Jesus. He was always the plan. And God's word slowly, progressively reveals more and more and more about that plan until we get to Jesus and it's revealed. Jesus is the fulfillment of God's plans for everything. That's what we get to proclaim. And that all who look to Christ through faith, trusting in his life, his death, his resurrection, as your only means of salvation, the Bible tells us you will be saved. Saved. Amazing. Jesus is central to what God is doing. He is central to how we are saved. He is central to how we are to live. He is central to our vision, our mission, our strategies. He is central to the songs that we sing. And He will be central in all of those ways for all of eternity. This is what we proclaim. Him. Jesus. It is a message of overwhelming grace. A free gift that came at a great cost to rescue sinners from the weight, the penalty, the power, and one great and glorious day, the presence of sin. And who in this room, if honest, right now, with yourself and all of us, who hasn't ached with tears in their face over the sin in their lives, longing for no more than having their hearts comforted by the saving It is an overwhelming message of grace because Jesus is the fullness of grace upon grace come near to rescue sinners. And so Paul's care for the Colossian church and ours today is why would a church get bogged down diluting this message, diluting the hymn we proclaim from being central to everything it is and does. The Colossians were being challenged in this way to have a Jesus plus fill in the blank. Jesus plus a little bit extra, like, be hard on yourself, and then God will see you trying, and he'll give you a little more. That's what they were being confronted with. You know what that does? It says Jesus isn't enough. He's not sufficient, and he's not supreme if you have to add some other stuff along the way. And Paul came strong. He held up a supreme and sufficient Jesus and said, him we proclaim. He is central to our message. Second thing we see is that he is central to our means. Note what he says next. So him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. So that means this message that is to be central to the church, to our lives, to our hearts, is then to be central in the means of us going and growing and knowing Jesus. It is to be central in how we go about doing this. Two ways that Paul stresses. One, he says, warn and teach. Warn is another way to say that is to strongly urge, to strongly urge away from something and to strongly urge to something. So when he says warning everyone, he's saying we have this real opportunity, privilege, and joy to have a ministry that is strongly urging each other 
away into. Away from things that are of lesser value. That we are to be in the business of passionately, with great compassion and care for each other, strongly urging each other away from chasing after things that can't deliver. That we are to say to one another, stop chasing things that can't provide what only Christ can give. Nothing else in this world, and you can go look and you can find, and if you don't believe me, read Ecclesiastes. He did it and he said, nope, there isn't anything else. Nothing else in this world will give you worth, identity, purpose, direction, like Christ. Everything you would put in the place of ultimate in your heart, the treasure of your heart that you would behold, everything that you would put there that isn't Christ, it will demand of you and fail to deliver. Everything. Every aspiration, every relationship, every comfort, every possession, every pleasure, every notoriety, it will demand everything of you and give you nothing. It will fail to deliver. And nothing else in all of creation will be able to sustain you and strengthen you for all the challenges and obstacles and hardships that this life has. It'll fail to deliver sustaining strength to you when life is hard. One of the most incredible words that Jesus said in his earthly ministry, I guess they're all incredible, so I guess just these particular ones are incredible. It's found in Matthew 11. Many of you probably know these words. You probably went to these words in very low, hard, sad seasons in your life. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Do you know who he said that to? He said that to a group of people surrounded by Pharisees who heaped on them laws upon laws upon laws upon laws. And he says, take my yoke. No amount of money, no amount of comfort, no amount of possessions, no amount of pleasures, acceptance, perfect kids, American dream will ever validate you or complete you. As Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and thieves can't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your what? Heart will be also. We are to be a people who love one another so well and love other people so well that we're willing to risk and strongly urge us away from chasing something that cannot deliver. As well as to strongly urge us to chase after that which does. To, to strongly urge us to the glorious worth of knowing Jesus. Ultimate in your heart. That we would be a people willing to say to each other, start pursuing 
knowing Christ as if He really is the greatest treasure in all the cosmos. That He really is His greatest joy, the greatest hope, the greatest peace, the greatest life that you could have. And it's graciously provided to you through the gospel that we would strongly urge one another to that, to knowing Him. So that we could join Paul in Philippians 3, 8 and say, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. That we would see that phrase, treasuring Christ, as a constant warning system. Pursue Christ always. He's worth it. And we would be a people willing to say that to each other in the mundane, ordinary, week-in, week-outs of life, in the crisis, in the moments in which the entire bottom falls out and all is despairing, and in the moments of great joy and hope that we would all be anchors to one another, saying, but Christ is greater still. Christ is greater than your mundane Mondays. Christ is greater than the terrible things that happen to you on Tuesdays. Christ is greater than the joy of Friday night. He is greater in every way. He is better in the joys. He's better than the heart sorrows. He is greater than and everything we could possibly know and contain in this world. And do we want to say to one another with a strong urging, trust Him, pursue Him, know Him. That's at the heart of what Paul's doing in his ministry. Let me say this. Everything in this world is competing for your heart. Everything is competing for your heart. And it will compete for your heart every single day. It will never, ever take a day off. The world never rests. Recently, we were in New York City. At nighttime, you're in Times Square, and it's as bright as the day. Many of you have been there. You know this. It's crazy. It's crazy. The world And what it is doing to compete for your heart is like Times Square. It never is off. So I ask you boldly, as I ask myself, why do I take a day off? If the world is never going to rest at competing for your heart, why do I feel like I get to take a day off? How many times have you woke up on a Sunday morning and thought, eh, Or on a Thursday morning and you saw your Bible and your devotion and you know you have life group that night. And you're like, meh. Or maybe it is that life group night. Work was crazy. Your kids are nuts. You're more nuts. Yeah. world never stops competing for your heart. So why do we stop tenderizing our heart with gospel truth? We need to be strongly urged. Not mean, with passion and joy and hope because we want to strongly urge with the character of Christ. Next thing we see is that we need to teach and instruct. In and for. Teach, instruct, in and for. So we're to strongly urge away and to, and now we need to teach and instruct in and for. So growing up in Christ means we need to be instructed on what that means and what it looks like and how we go about it. To teach or instruct in means it, 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 it means to be united to Christ through faith, that we need to learn and know and grow at knowing what that means. 
that you and I in here, we desperately need to know to grow in knowing who God is. We need to grow in knowing who God is. It does not matter how long you have known the Lord. It does not matter how much you have grown in knowing the Lord. It does not matter if today is day one or if today is like day 100,000. It does not matter. We all are called to grow in knowing the Lord. And so we desperately need to keep growing and knowing the Lord. And while many of us enjoy seeing the glory of God's handiwork in creation, there's only one place where we get specifics, and that's His Word. Scripture reveals the worth, the work, the ways, and the words of God. If you want to know Him, you know Him through His Word. If you want to keep growing in Him, you keep digging into His Word. We also need to desperately know grow in knowing what God has done and why that has a transformative impact on all of our lives. So we desperately need to grow in knowing what God has done. And what God has done is most revealed through the cross, where we see the nature of God's purposes on display, the fullness of God's love on display, and where our lives are radically transformed. We desperately need to grow in knowing that, who God is, what God has done, and we desperately need to keep growing and knowing who we are in Christ. So if we're not growing in knowing who God is, and if we're not growing in knowing what God has done and why that means everything, then that means other things in this world are going to start to define and shape our hearts when it comes to knowing who we are. So rather than our theology growing understanding of God, the world becomes then the defining thing in our hearts telling us who we are. We desperately need to keep growing and knowing God because that has a profound impact on us knowing who we are. Our theology will indeed impact our identity. A wrong view of God leads to a wrong view of ourselves. And we need a right view of God so as to have a right view of ourselves. To be able to say and understand the deep wells of truth and hope under the phrase, a sinner saved by grace. God's word reveals these things to us. We need to be instructed in them. And we need to be instructed for, for a life that lives as if Jesus really is the treasure. So not only do we need to grow in knowing who God is, what God has done, and who we are, but we also desperately need to grow in knowing how we are to live. And the Bible is that sword that cuts through all the, the, the stuff of our lives and helps us to see our need to submit our lives to Jesus and to not try to fit him into our own. And we live for Jesus as if he is the treasure. And we are to live outward lives, not inward. We're not called to live in a bubble. We're called to live outward lives through worship. Outward lives in community with one another. And outward lives on mission. If we want to grow it, grow up in Christ. If we want to treasure Christ and grow up in him, then we need to know that it's going to be an outward thing. Outward. 
And that leads us then, lastly, to the central, to our end. So move through this verse quickly. It is the aim, so that he presents everyone mature in Christ. The aim of this ministry that is centered on Jesus, that is centered on Jesus in its message, centered on Jesus in its means of being the ministry, is now also centered on Jesus as the goal or the end or the aim of ministry. That we would see fully grown up people in Christ. We would have people that are growing and maturing and knowing Jesus and reflecting Him in their lives. And there are two things about this that I want to say, central to our end, that it is our greatest good and it is our greatest goal. This is our greatest good. Your greatest good that God has for you in this life is that you would know Jesus and reflect Him more in your life. That Christ-likeness would become more and more evident in you. That is your greatest good. And you know why it's your greatest good? Because there's no greater good than Jesus. And God wants you to know Him and to become more and more like Him. That His character is evident in our lives in increasing measure. I mean, think about it. Christ sends the Spirit to work powerfully in us. And that the fruit of the Spirit is the fostering of Christ's character in Christ's people. Like, this is your good. So many times, we don't want the thing that's for our good. We're like a teenager in front of a plate of broccoli, right? We don't want it. We want the Chick-fil-A nuggets. But our greatest good is always going to be attached to and found in Christ, not outside of Him. And God's greatest good for you isn't material, it's not comfort, it's not ease, it's Christ-likeness. Hearts that are growing and seeing this as our end, as our aim, those hearts grow in experiencing peace. And hearts that struggle with seeing this as our end will suffer an endless restlessness. Augustine, in the 4th century, said it best, our hearts are restless until they rest in Christ. There will be a restlessness in you the longer you avoid Christ as the ultimate of your heart. It is your greatest good. It is also your greatest goal. That Christ would be the delight of your heart individually and us together corporately that he would be the delight, that we would be outward in our praise, our worship, our adoration, that he would be then the thing we want to declare, that we would be outward in intentionality with relationships around us, whether those relationships are that mutual community of care that we find in this room, or whether those relationships are people who are far from Christ, but we're in their lives. God has sovereignly put us in their lives, and we have good news for them. So we are bold and we want to live for them. Live for that moment, for them to know Jesus. So we, we see it as our greatest goal and delight and declare and display that we'd be a people outward on mission, eager to show the greatest good is found in the grace of our God. Now here's a warning that comes with this. As we can see that the aim of a treasuring Christ focus in which Christ is central in the message and the means and the end 
is that we would see maturity in Christ, that we would be growing more and more Christ-like. And the problem is that there is so much of us that so many of us struggle with looking at our lives and we feel like we're spiritually adolescent. Now, I don't know why. I, I do know why. <laughs> now that I say this, I, I know why. But there's an expression. I don't ever hear it as woman child, but you hear it as man child. You'll never hear it as a woman child. Women grow up. Men don't, right? Is that, is that the joke? A man child. What's a man child? A grown body, but a maturity of a kid, Right? Grown body, maturity of a kid. Some of us in here may feel a little ache because we've been following the Lord for a long time, but our maturity is not very mature. Maybe we feel a little bit of conviction. We consider this. I want to say to you, yes, we can be spiritual versions of spiritual adolescence, but there is incredible real-time hope for you right now. I want to say to you, it is not too late for you to grow up in Christ. No matter how long you've been following the Lord, it is not too late for you. Everyone in Christ no matter the maturity of their lives, are still called to grow up in Christ. Here's what's so amazing. No one is too immature to grow, and no one is too mature to not keep growing. Take time to evaluate your heart today. If you need help, do so by evaluating your life, how you live. What does the nature of how you live reveal about what you treasure? It's a hard question. You're going to think about it, leave time. Maybe it's time to commit to some serious heart work. Maybe it's time you regularly open your Bible and treasure hunt. Maybe it's time you open your schedule to do this with others. Maybe it's time. Let's pray. God, we thank you that your word is good and guides our lives to see Christ at the center. And I pray that you, by your spirit, would work in us even now so that we would want to live for him and his glory. God, help us to grow and mature and reflect Christ more and more in our lives. God, we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.